Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Christ Jesus lives and he is with us through it all and that we have the promise of eternal life. So thank you, gracious God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, open our hearts to the joy that you have for us in Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. So today we are going to be finishing our series, We Believe in the Resurrection. It has been a good, a fruitful series. And we've actually been spending our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today we will finish off chapter 15. We haven't done all of 15, but we've done the vast majority of it. And we have seen during this particular series that without the resurrection... Without the truth of the resurrection, there is no fruit. If you have no truth of the resurrection in your faith, there is no fruit. There is effort, but ultimately darkness and even tiredness and despair. But with the truth of the resurrection, there is joy. There is peace. There is fellowship. There is gratitude. There's jubilation and praise of Christ Jesus. That is the truth, the fruit that we have in the resurrection. That we have the assurance of eternal life with Him. And we saw that the assurance of the resurrection is central to our faith, to the very gospel itself. Remember, gospel means what? Good news. And the resurrection is the seal, the assurance of the good news that in Christ Jesus, all of those who have faith will have eternal life. That we are not in bondage to sin or even death, but we have life in Him. We have freedom in Him. We have eternal life. And the bodies that we will have will be glorified bodies. There won't be the aches and pains that we have along the way. There, and our minds will be sharp and clear. You won't forget stuff. This, this was reminded uh, uh, of me last week. Because I said last week, this summer I'm going to be 61. And I went home and Heidi said, you're already 61. Yeah, so, apparently, there you go. I, I can't do math anymore. So, but, but it won't matter, because in our glorified state, we will have that perfect body and a sharp mind, and age won't matter, right? Do you get the sense of the joy of that, the joy of the resurrection? I mean, we have covered a whole lot of ground And it just lifts you up when you really think about it. When you ponder, when you think about the message of the resurrection, it gives you joy. I mentioned last night we watched the movie Risen. And uh, you just see the joy the disciples had. I think that was really good. The joy the disciples had seeing their risen Lord. And one disciple was asked, did you really believe this? And he was like, well, to tell you the truth, we had some doubts. But now, yes, we believe. We believe. It lifts you up to the 
sublime promise that we have a living hope, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's what Peter wrote, by the way. So now Paul is going to finish this chapter on the resurrection. And it's like a crescendo, if you will. It's, it is truly soaring musical language. And there's a jubilation. And what we're going to find today is that there's a promise. We have an imperishable inheritance when the trumpet sounds and death is swallowed up in victory through Christ Jesus. You got that? We have an imperishable inheritance when the trumpet sounds and death is swallowed up in victory through Christ Jesus. All right, here we go. Back on track. So we're going to start with an imperishable inheritance. It says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Okay, you've heard this phrase, you can't take it with you, right? I mean, we've all heard that one. You can't take it with you. It means that at death, anything of this earth, you cannot take it with you. The inheritance that you have does not include your earthly possessions, or even this earthly body. But people still try, don't they? I'm going to give you an example of somebody who tried to take it with him. This is an actual story from the newspaper. March 2010, Bill Stanley was buried in a plexiglass coffin sitting on his custom-painted 1967 Electra Glide Cruiser. Yes. Five embalmers work to prepare his body with a metal back brace and straps to ensure he'll never lose his seat. Stanley's family said he had been talking about it for years and liked to take people to the garage to show off the unusual casket his two sons had built for him. He told people he just didn't want to ride off to heaven, but he wanted the world to see him do it in the big see-through box. Now, there's a number of stories like that throughout. And we kind of laugh in a way, right? It's whimsical in a certain manner. But it actually flies in the face of what we are told, what we believe as Christians. That anything of this world we are not going to be taking. I don't think there's any motorcycles or cars in heaven. Sorry to disappoint those who are motorcycle or car fans. But even our earthly bodies, that's not the inheritance that we have. And you have to understand that the kingdom of God is spiritual in essence. The kingdom of God is spiritual in essence. It encompasses this world, this world of flesh and blood, but it is not of this world. Jesus was trying to Nicodemus understand this a bit. You remember Jesus and Nicodemus? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. See, when you are born again through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that you come to faith in Christ Jesus, you are then given an inheritance of eternal life. But you can only gain 
that life, that eternal life, by dying, by leaving everything else behind. This is what Paul was writing about, verse 53, for the perishable body must put on the um, the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. Look, we covered this actually pretty extensively last week. Verse 42 through 44, just earlier in the chapter. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So we talked about that. The glorified body. Not the same one, but still recognizable as you. So, if we die today, right, we are guaranteed that. There's the assurance of that. But people in the church of Corinth and other people throughout the world say, okay, well, what about when Jesus comes again? Right? People are dead, but what about those who are living? What's going to happen then? And so Paul anticipates this particular question. And he answers it. Talks about when the trumpet sounds... He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This is the only time in 1 Corinthians that he uses this word, behold. And when you say behold, it's, it's say, pay attention here. Look up. Make sure you're really looking and listening to this because it's important. So he gets our attention. And what does he say? He says, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Okay. Let's be very careful about this word mystery. This is not a new agey sort of mystery that people might think about. Nor is it something that only supercharged Christians can really understand. Oh, those spiritual Christians. No. That's not not what he's writing about. Remember the church in Corinth? They were really kind of messed up human beings. And they were involved in all sorts of things. Looking for wisdom and secrets and mysteries. Just as other Jews might or certainly other pagan religion might do. As a matter of fact, when we talk about mystery, mystery is this. It is a truth that God has yet not yet revealed to us. A truth that God has not yet revealed to us. So in this particular case, there are times when God withholds a truth from us. And he will reveal that at the appropriate time. Think about this. The glory of the gospel in the Old Testament was hidden until it was revealed with Christ Jesus. God revealed the mystery of the gospel. Paul wrote about this to the Corinthians in chapter 2. He says this, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. 
but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So the glory of the gospel has been revealed to you. And you know that this is a mystery hidden from non-believers. Have you ever seen someone be born again? Have you ever been in the presence? Their eyes open. And they now know something that they never knew before. This is what Paul is writing about. But we, we need to be careful here. Because how does the Spirit impart this truth? Do you have to go to the mountaintop? Do you have to go out to a forest? Sit in the desert all by yourself? No, you don't. The primary means by which the Spirit imparts the knowledge of God is through the Word. If you want to know the mysteries of God, read the Word. Our world right now is lacking in all of that because they are not reading the Word. This is the primary means by which the Holy Spirit works. It is the Word. And so, through the Holy, so Paul writing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us this particular mystery. He reveals what will happen at the second coming of Christ Jesus. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. The answer is very clear. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus, living at that time and dead, will be raised, will be made imperishable. And it will happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Now, this word moment, in the Greek, it's actually atomos, which from, from which the word we get atom, okay, atom. It's meant to designate the smallest, undividable period of time that there could be. And for, we would say like a split second, right? Paul says, in a twinkling of an eye. Now, as real, and this isn't a blink of an eye, but a, like a, a flash of the eye. One writer said this, it is like one-sixth of a nanosecond is how fast it would be because that's how much it would take the light to go into your eye. One-sixth of a nanosecond. Now, you might say, well, how, many is, how much is a nanosecond? I mean, we've heard that, right? It is one one-billionth of a second. So if I say 1,001, one second, that's already a billion nanoseconds. And this writer says it's a sixth of that. So in essence, instantaneous, right? 
And all of this will happen when the trumpet sounds at the second coming of Christ Jesus. Now, we should not be surprised that a trumpet will sound. Jesus talked extensively about this with his disciples before he was crucified. Matthew chapter 24 and 25, it's called the Olivet Discourse. He talked extensively about the second coming. Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. The trumpet that will sound is for all believers. The trumpet is a summons from God. One writer put it this way, it will be a final blast in the history of redemption. And all believers will be gathered. And what are all believers? It is the body of Christ. It is the church. It is the church from all of the earth being gathered together. Paul wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians. He said this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of, a com- of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then those who are alive, uh, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, you might have noticed that I highlighted the word caught up. How many of you have heard the rapture? Right? Everybody's heard the rapture. It is a Latin translation of the word caught up. As a matter of fact, rapture itself, that word, doesn't occur in the Bible unless you're going to read the Latin version. But in all the English versions, it does not say that. It means caught up. It means to be seized, to plucked up, to be caught up. But many people are enraptured by the rapture, aren't they? They are enraptured by the rapture. There are so many books that are written from a theological point of view, and certainly a lot of fiction. Who's read any of the Left Behind series? Have you read that? I mean, it starts with the rapture, right? And people are so caught up in that. And they have been throughout history. And I've talked about this, how in the mid-1800s, how some people left everything behind, and they stood on the hill with their arms up like this, just waiting for the rapture. And when it didn't happen, it was called the Great Disappointment. But there's also a lot of thought about, well, will Christ come before a thousand-year reign? After a thousand-year reign? Did the thousand-year reign already happen? Is it figurative? I'm not going to get into any of that today. Because that's not the point of what he's writing about. The po- I mean, I don't want you to get enraptured by the rapture. The problem is when people get caught up in being caught up, They leave behind the work that is in front of them. Jesus already told you, told us, 
you aren't going to know the hour of the day. Read Matthew 24 and 25. He says, we are to be prepared that there's work for us to do in the here and now. So we gather together. We pray, we worship, we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We share the good news with other people to make disciples. There's a lot of work in front of us right now. We need not get caught up in being caught up. The purpose Paul is writing, the purpose the Holy Spirit has given us through Paul's writing, is the assurance. It is the assurance that we have in the resurrection. The assurance at the last trumpet call that those who have faith in Christ Jesus will be with us in heaven. That death is swallowed up in victory. It goes on. When the perishable put on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death. It is a word that is heavy laden, isn't it? As much as our culture glorifies death, I mean, really, you can't almost watch a TV show without something happening. So, you know, the body count throughout. And so as a culture, American, we often glorify death. But when it comes and is personal, we'd rather not dwell on it too much. We'd rather avoid the subject. We even say, we don't say somebody died, they passed on, right? Or they're laid to rest. We say things like that because to actually say they died has too much of a sense of finality to it. So I remember when my mother was dying. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was a week or two before her death, uh, but all of my, my sisters and I and some spouses and some older sibling, uh, grandchildren were there in her room. And she was in the hospital bed. And uh, our daughter, Laura, was there. Now, our daughter at the time was about 12 years old. And my mom talked about dying. She wasn't afraid of dying. She just wondered when it was going to happen. Matter of fact, one time she looked at me and she said, why aren't our dead dead yet? I was like, I don't know, Mom. But my mom talked about dying. And it really hit our daughter hard. And she bawled. She just cried. And in the lobby downstairs not long after, a couple sisters came up to me individually and really scolded me. They said, how could you have your daughter there? Couldn't you see how difficult that was? That's not appropriate. And I said, but as Christians, we know that death is not the final answer. This is actually joy on the other side. My sisters didn't know that. My mom knew that. She had had no fear of dying. She just wanted to kind of know when. But she had no fear of actually dying because she knew this eternal truth 
that those who are in Christ Jesus, that death is not the final answer. In fact, Paul writes this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Paul writes in basically a taunting voice here that death is swallowed up in victory. That it's not just defeated, but it is utterly destroyed. And do you know when death was utterly destroyed? At the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Death was utterly destroyed. It is His resurrection that provides the assurance. And thus death has no sting for those who are in Christ Jesus. No sting at all. Zero, zilch, nada, nothing. There is no sting in death when you are in Christ Jesus and you understand the resurrection. This is why Paul, when he was in prison and he was going to be killed, he could write this. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's basically saying, hey, you know what? I'd rather be with Christ right now. But there's work for me to do for you. So that you know Christ Jesus. So you, so you stand firm in your faith. And I, I mean it's really summed up like this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean there's no sting in that is there? There is no sting in death at all. As a matter of fact the only thing that can actually sting you is sin. Without sin, there is no death. There's only life. But where there is sin, there is death. That's the sting. The sting that leads to death. I mean, this is not as hard to understand. It's profound, but it's not that hard to understand. Go back to the Garden of Eden, right? God made it everything. It was good. Adam and Eve were there. It was all good. And God said, you can eat of any tree you want in the garden except one, right? In essence, God gave a command, a law, if you will. Don't eat from that tree. Of course, when you're told not to do something, right? Like wet paint. You know, as kids, don't touch the wet paint. How many of you touch the wet? How many of you still today have to like, Hold yourself back because you want to touch just to see, right? Just because it's fun. Because I'm an adult now. Now, touching wet paint isn't such a big deal. But going against God's word is a big deal. And thus, sin comes. And with sin comes death. Because what happened in the garden? You shall surely die. 
Paul writes actually about the extensiveness, extensiveness of this in chapters 6 and 7 of his letter to the Romans. I would encourage you to read it. So I'm just going to read a section here. Romans chapter 7, uh, actually it's uh, 9 through 12. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Sin came alive and I died. That really sums it up, isn't it? When there is sin, there is a sting the sting, that's death sting, is sin. Because when we sin, we know that we have breaking, broken the law. The power of the law. The power of sin is the law. The law says, do this or do not do this according to God's command. And we do just the opposite. And we sin and we know that we deserve the punishment against what we have done against a holy God. And that punishment would be death. That is the sting. This is why people might bury themselves with a motorcycle or avoid that topic whatsoever. This is also why when you talk about the Ten Commandments with people, they pretty much weasel their way out of it. Oh, yeah, okay, I, no, I mean, they do all sorts of stuff. I've broken the law, yes, yes, I'm just human. They can't actually face that they have truly sinned against God because they don't like that sting. They don't like to be stung knowing what they have done against a holy God. But you and I, all of those who have faith in Christ Jesus, there's no sting. Why? Why is there no sting? Because of the gospel. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We in the gospel are forgiven. The sin is forgiven. That we are free from that bondage of sin and that we have the promise of life and life everlasting. Now, so when we stand there, there's a jubilation when we see the gospel. Even if we are facing death. Because death has been swallowed up in victory through Christ Jesus. Isn't that joy? There should be joy there. Now, at the end of every particular message, I always write an application, right? We talk about applying Paul already did this for us. So we are going to go with Paul's words. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he said, now, by the way, anytime he says therefore, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore, right? And that actually covers all of chapter 15. And what is all of chapter 15? It is the gospel and the resurrection. 
So he says, because of the gospel and the resurrection, be steadfast and immovable. Never step off the foundation of Christ Jesus and his gospel. Stand firm in that throughout your life, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what the rest of the world says. Stand firm on that foundation and then do the work in front of you. There's a lot of work for us to do as brothers and sisters. Pray. Pray for one another is part of the work we should do. So we pray for one another. We help one another. I, here, here's what I understand from this church, that if you get sick with COVID or anything else, you will probably gain weight because we always make sure that everybody has food, right? We do that. That's part of it. But then we encourage one another. We build one another up. We study the word together. We share our faith with each other and with others who don't know. That's the work ahead of us. And we do that knowing that it is not in vain because of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the resurrection. And everyone says, Amen. Amen, amen.